Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me in the studio, Ashley Wakefield. Hi. Hey. Welcome back, Ashley. Sorry about my forgetfulness last week and forgetting a computer and you can't be in on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made that comment. I was like, you brought your computer today, and I feel like you, like you didn't know how to take that. Like, I don't know if I should like take that as a joke or what. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. My forgetfulness will probably kill me one day oh, no. No. <laughs> uh, anyway so uh if you guys have been tuning in regularly to the podcast you know that we've been going through the book of isaiah chapter by chapter and we are at the chapter 53 of the book of isaiah we are almost done i uh, love this chapter in particular there's a lot to talk about with this chapter that's going to be fun um this chapter just as beginning open up is um usually in christian circles called the suffering servant chapter um it focuses in on that servant that we've been talking about and other different chapters of the isaiah um little quick recap just in case you've missed it i know you guys are probably tired of me saying it but uh Quick recap is um, the servant in Isaiah in these chapters can uh, represent a deliverer like Cyrus, who was to deliver the people of Israel from the hand of the Babylonians. It can represent Israel, um, who is suffering under the injustices of the Babylonians, and God promises that he will be next to that servant and protect them. Or it can represent a future Messiah-like figure, or Messiah figure, I guess I should say, not like, but Messiah figure, who um, will come and rescue Israel um, in glory and in power. Um, those are the three ways that um, servant can get used in this whole section of Isaiah. And in this chapter, we're going to be focusing quite heavily on the last of those three um, in this whole chapter. So um, that'll be the focus with this, um, particularly for Christianity. Uh, Christianity, um, We take this whole chapter to be um, really just talking about Jesus the whole time. Um, so that's very, very, it's one of our favorite. <laughs> I was talking with uh, one of our members of Wayfarers right before we started this, and uh, um, they were saying that uh, Christians in the South in particular seem to like all of the New Testament and chapter 53 of Isaiah. <laughs> And I thought that was a really funny, like little little jibe, but uh, it's very true. We, uh, Isaiah fifty three is one of the most favorite um, chapters uh, in Christian circles. So hope to do it justice, and I'm excited to jump into this. Did you have any thoughts before we jump in, Ashley? Oh no, this, I think this is a really beautiful chapter because even though it doesn't describe um, Jesus's emotions exactly, it does describe what's going to happen at some point, and like you can imagine the emotions behind that story that's being told. And I think that's a really beautiful idea—the idea that we serve a God that has different layers of emotions. Yeah, so. yeah, no, no. I think, uh, yeah, we're gonna get into just how relatable um, this chapter makes Jesus uh, overall in this chapter. So I'm really excited for that. Um, so yeah, uh, without much further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this chapter. Who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life into death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You haven't said ready, Freddie, in so long. I know. I've intentionally not said ready, Freddie. You haven't? Before. Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, it just uh, it feels corny. So. No, it's not corny. Well, not to me, it isn't. <laughs> ready, Freddie is like a old saying from like, uh, um, like my like homeschooled years i feel like i don't feel like i've met anyone that said ready freddy other than in homeschooled circles oh but yeah i could be wrong um let me know out there <laughs> if you still say ready freddy let me know it'd be <laughs> fun to see a comment on the boring bible talking about that but anyway um <laughs> uh, we are talking about chapter 53 not ready freddy um t- right now uh we just finished up with this chapter um which is by the way one of the most beautiful chapters in the book of isaiah i really love this chapter um as I said in the last episode, the verses 13 through 15 of chapter 52 really, I think, should be added into this whole chapter because it starts with, see my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. So we, we know we're shifting to talking about the servant. Um, so if you haven't listened to episode 52, I do talk about those three verses in that. So uh, maybe check that out. Um, but. Uh, with this, it opens up with verse one, which is who has believed our message and to whom the ar- has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I think I've talked before. Ashley, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I've talked what the arm of the Lord means, right? And how like, that means, have, like yeah. the power. Yeah, yeah. Um, just short reference real quick is that the arm of the Lord re- uh, is reference to um, the Lord's power and his ability to do things on the earth. Um, and so uh, it's really asking this question of one who has believed the message of these prophets that are um delivering this um interestingly too um 
the plural our message seems to indicate that whatever's going on in uh, this particular chapter, at least, is um, multiple people are giving out this message, not just Isaiah. Um, fun little side note there. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously, he's focusing on the arm of the Lord um, that has been revealed to um, some people, but not to everyone. And that's why he's like, asking this uh, rhetorical question here, who uh, has actually witnessed the power of God. Um, and he's going to basically answer this rhetorical question, answering it as the servant has seen the power of God. And he's the one that has seen what God is going to do. So that's how we open this chapter up. And then we start into what the servant is like. And this is the probably in Isaiah, I don't think I'm far off by saying this is the most descriptive we get of what the servant is going to look like. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, just like uh, as a note here, here it's very hard to put this onto cyrus because cyrus is not going to look like this <laughs> at least historically um so it's hard to put this on cyrus um and then um there is a, a whole belief that puts all of this on israel um israel uh, has lived out i've talked about this in the last episode how um jewish thought is that um isaiah 53 is basically the history of Israel and they relate all of the different things that we're about to talk about to the people of Israel. So um, just keep that in mind that this is uh, kind of a split between how Christians interpret this and Jews interpret this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just something to keep on your radar. Um, I've always tried to do my best to be um, representative of the Jewish opinion on this and not try and just say it's the worst thing that's ever come which i feel like some people do so uh, but i will say that again i tend to believe it as a christian so there's going to be a bias towards one of these views and not towards the other so just keep that in mind as we're going through this um the first thing that comes up is he's going to grow up like a tender shoot um, like a root out of dry ground um, kind of the emphasis on dry ground being that like it's a world of uh, no water and very harsh harsh environment and uh, we instantly get uh, uh, assigned this verse of not assigned but just shown this verse that he has no beauty or majesty for us to attract him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him um, he was despised and rejected and so this whole first kind of quatrain here is focused on um, how he's not good looking <laughs> like he's not a he's not a looker he's not um someone that's like uh charismatic in any shape or form and i've often pulled from this just with like what i see as a disturbing trend in churches today of how it tends to be the beautiful people that get the church jobs <laughs> um and yeah. just the uh lack of what that what we see here in this servant um, seems to be sort of a suggestion even back to this is kind of um, hearkening off of a story found in um, Samuel where uh, God finds uh, um, David um, out in the fields and uh, there's a famous verse that's uh, usually applied a lot of different places but I do think it applies here which is man looks at the outward appearances but God looks at the heart um, yeah. and this mm -hmm. is definitely kind of using that um, and bringing it even further into kind of an extreme here of he has no beauty or any majesty um i i take majesty here to be kind of that charismatic um kind of phrase uh, not phrase but charismatic uh, charisma that's the word the charisma that we sometimes 
uh, find attractive in leaders. And uh, yeah, I just see a lot of uh, differences between how churches pick leaders today and what it looks like this person in particular is going to be. And I think a lot of people yeah. depict Jesus as like long hair and very beautiful. And I do think yeah. that they're missing the mark um, with that a lot based off of these verses, yeah. at least it doesn't, it seems to suggest something totally different. Yeah. Um, and I think God kind of puts us in the position to see him the way he sees us, because we don't really know what God looks like. And, you know, those people back then, like who got to know Jesus, you know, if you're looking at this, as this interpretation of the Messiah. It's like, you know, they know what he looked like, but you know, that was over 2000 years ago. So we kind of, we serve an invisible God who we don't know his physical appearance. We just know his heart based on the word of God that we read and the and how he handles our circumstances and our situations and handles us as individuals. And so it puts us in a position where we can't love God by what he looks like, only by what we know about him. And I think it kind of reminds me when you brought that up about church leaders picking people and the charisma, I think that just comes with being good looking because I feel like that with attractive people being charismatic, I don't even think it's just that they're always charismatic. It's just the fact that people let certain things slide because they're attractive. It's like certain <laughs> things that attractive people do are attractive just because they're attractive. Yeah. And if somebody who wasn't, you know, quote unquote, you know, as attractive them, they, if they were considered unattractive and they were doing the same thing, it would be considered unattractive just because of the way that they look. So it's yeah. like, good looking people get a pass on doing certain things because they're good looking, you know? Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Not to name any coffee shop I won't <laughs> name, but there are some coffee shops that I walk into that uh, I just feel like everyone there is pretty. <laughs> and it's just like, wow, this is, uh, this is weird. Um, but yeah, uh, enough on that. Uh, I had a question. Okay, so okay. when I was reading the first part where it says he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground, um, I guess when I read that and I was looking at the cross references to it, it brought up like, I think it was Second Kings of 19 and 26. And it was relating tender roots and how like they get scorched easily by the sun. And I guess it kind of reminded me of Jesus and how his life was cut short because he only died when he was that's in his point. early 30s. Yeah, and that's so it's point. like maybe, you know, that was related to how his life was not going yeah. to be very. Yeah, that sounds expensive. like a point, not a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I was wondering if you like, uh, did you see that in there or do you think you agree or disagree? Or um, uh, Honestly, I haven't done any research on that, yeah. that particularly. So um, it sounds good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I, I like I, I think that's a well, let's see here. There is a little uh, logos gives us a well. It's not relating to kings. Let me see here. Nope, nope. You're right because there's a whole uh, logos that's related it to Second Kings nineteen twenty six in here. So yeah, I think you're right on that. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Uh, so yeah, so that's this whole first kind of stanza here in verse four. Um, it focuses specifically on what he's going to do. So we get a characteristic of how not charismatic, not beautiful not someone that people would normally follow after and then verse four through verse six is another kind of stanza um that focuses on uh what he is and it's interesting uh it's told in the past tense it's surely he took not surely he will take um surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering yet we considered him punished by god stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Mm. Man, there's so much in here. We all, yeah. like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to us. I, I've literally memorized that verse. Um, <laughs> like, there are uh, so much stuff to talk about here. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's told in the past tense, right? So, um, 
in one sense, and I think this is true for uh, all of the servant passages. In one sense, you can kind of see um, this get mapped on to um, Israel a little bit, for sure. Um, even Paul uses this. We actually just finished up with an Acts um, session, and I was talking about how in Romans 11, Paul really sees the affliction of Israel as good for the rest of the world. Um, and this is kind of where I think Paul's pulling from in this a little bit. It's just this concept that like in the past tense, the servant as Israel has undergone all this. And I don't want to discredit that and just say, this is all about Jesus. And that interpretation is completely wrong. I don't think actually that that's true i think that there this is a double meaning here i think that you can take it to mean yes israel has gone through pain and suffering and has been punished by god by um the babylonians by the assyrians um, and they were crushed and pierced and it has brought peace um and healed other people as a result of that i think you, i think that's a an interpretation that is not wrong to take on this. However, when Jesus comes along, this then gets mapped on to Jesus. And I do think that not mapping this onto Jesus and saying Jesus doesn't apply here mm -hmm. is also wrong. Um, and so in this whole situation, for Christians at least, um, this becomes the cross, right? This becomes mm -hmm. the pain and suffering that he goes through in the whole um, uh, Golgotha scene and how um, he's punished by God, how he's the sins of the world are put on his shoulders. Um, and this uh, idea at the very end that we like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned our own way mm -hmm. is the reason he had to go through all of this. Um, and the Lord, because of all of us going astray, has laid that sin iniquity on all of us, uh, on him um, from all of us. So yeah, like again, it's, it's, it's one of those situations where um, a lot of times divisions happen between different religions because mm -hmm. they go either or. And I've tried a lot to be a both and with a lot of this stuff and really try to say, well, maybe it can be both. And in this case, I see a lot of this that as Christians, we can look to the cross and look to Jesus and really see the roots of the gospel even in this yeah. this this whole thing but i don't want to discount because it, really if you read romans 11 you can see paul is using this from the israel perspective in romans 11 he's really focused on the fact that uh israel's um rejection and their um punishment by god has brought uh good things into the world so it's it's not um it's not just completely out of left field to interpret that way i guess we'll just put it that way so those verses that kind of reminds me of i was uh, it were, I was reminded of this idea of when I was listening to the Bible Project and they were talking about the character of God and they were focusing a lot more on the Old Testament than they were on the New. Yeah. Um, and so they were talking about this idea of how when God is making covenants with his people that he's putting himself in a position where he's allowing himself to be hurt, like the different layers of emotions with God, like he's allowing himself to risk being angry, being hurt um being you know i don't want to say disappointed because it's not that god doesn't know that's going to happen but he's allowing himself to be vulnerable in that situation by making a covenant with people who he knows are going to fail and it's like you kind of see that in that verse at least i do like this idea that this is happening because these people caused this to happen not because jesus did anything wrong but because there was a covenant that was made between 
him and the Israelites and this covenant extended not just to the Israelites but to everyone in the in, in the world who is going to be a part of this kingdom and because he makes this covenant with them that he kind of puts himself in a position where he's allowing himself to suffer so it, it was just it reminded me of that so. yeah no no and like that's the that's that's the story really that we're dealing with from old to new is that Jesus kind of ends up representing Israel in a sense too like Jesus is an Israelite and we've talked about this before how he represents Israel almost uh, as much as he represents all of humanity too mm -hmm. like he uh, represents what Israel should have been mm -hmm. and so in many ways, this is why this both and works, why it's an Israel and Jesus kind of thing is because you can say Jesus is Israel or rather Israel as it should have been. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think there's a lot there that we can take away from this little passage here that's um, really powerful, like I said. Um, yeah. So oh, you have. Something? Oh, I was just going to say also, um, this is something else that I noticed, especially when I was reading through it. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, on this podcast is that like this repetition of transgression and transgression and sin and iniquity. And I've always wanted been interested in the difference between those three ideas and why all three of these are included in this one chapter. And so just looking at it briefly, cause I haven't done a full blown study on this, but it just, you know, I guess I'm just wondering like, you know, transgression has to do with like, sort of like this, this breaking away, like a trespass or something and then sin having to do with like an action that is being committed and then it's like an action worthy of being punished and then iniquity is like a perverse thing, like a perverse soul, a perverse character. And I was trying to figure out the relation uh, between those So uh, the Bible Project actually has three different videos on all the different Hebrew words oh. for sin. Um, and uh, the looks like I'm only seeing two here, transgression and iniquity. Mm -hmm. um, transgression specifically references this is actually good to bring up for y'all transgression specifically references the hebrew word pashach um, which uh, means breaking of a covenant between two peoples mm -hmm. so it's specifically a covenant violation yeah. um, uh, sin essentially avon is the one that's iniquity and mm -hmm. avon is more of a global sin. Um, this is the type of sin that would get purified with blood in different spaces. It's kind of the, the, the sin that's, I describe this sin as like germs. It's the germ sin where like it's contagious, it goes all around us and it's the result of us and our individual sins. But it's like um, the type of sin that like, um, if a human is in the room, there is a bone there until something happens that cleans that mm -hmm. avone, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and it's this the state of sin, essentially, is what I uh, tend to reference avone as meaning. So, mm -hmm. uh, in this in this thing, um, it's the idea that like uh, verse five is saying he was pierced for our transgressions, meaning he was hurt or pierced for all of the covenant breaking violation that we did. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he was crushed for all of the unclean, uh, un, uh, good, ungood isn't a word, but like, uh, yeah, unclean is probably the best way to say it. All of the unclean sins that we do um, is what kind of avon means. So maybe that helps a little bit. There's one other word that I don't think it's mentioned in this chapter in specific. Um, so is sin itself like the word sin? 
when it's translated, is that something different? Yes, than yes, yes, it, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, <laughs> it, that's the third word. The third oh, okay, word. Good. Usually, uh, they'll translate pashach as um, transgressions, and then they'll translate uh, avon as iniquity, and then sin usually is that third word, which I just cannot remember right now. Um, sorry, guys. We can look it up. Yeah, if you if you have the time, it'd be interesting to look it up. But the Bible Project literally has three videos on all three of these words. So if you want to learn more about them, and maybe I said something wrong, I don't know. It's all all of this is off the top of my head. But um, okay, it says a psalm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing a psalm. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, again, I do not remember a lot about a psalm. So um, yeah, just go and check out the Bible Project video on that if you want more on that. But since it's not in this. Um, Chapter. We'll move on. Um, so, it is. It's in verse ten. Oh, is it in verse ten? Yeah, it's in verse ten. Oh, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> yep, there it is. A psalm. Okay, so all three are in here. Okay, so uh, strike that from the record. Um, I didn't even notice that. Okay, cool. Um, it's in. For, it was at the end of verse twelve too, for he bore the sin of many. It looks like I'm, 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 I've got logos open here so I can do like a word study real quick. Um, and it does look like a vone has a lot more to do with, um, like guilt and guilt offerings and like what we typically consider sin to be, which is like, um, the act of doing something wrong, like the moral, moral element of doing something wrong. Um, doing something that violates the commands of God is what I'm seeing a lot more f more with a psalm. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to see at least some of the different um, uh, uses of it. There's a use in Leviticus 14, 13. Um, oh, it's literally in that one, it's translated as guilt offering. That's interesting. So mm -hmm. it can be even... Um, I guess uh, sometimes that translation gets used as like sin offering. Um, and he shall kill the lamb in the place where they uh, kill the, the sin offering, which I'm guessing is not of own. No, kill the sin offering and the burn offering in the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering. And that's a psalm for the psalm, like the sin offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. Interesting. Okay. So there's several uses of it that seem to, yeah, point more towards our generic use of the word sin so um yeah that's probably why i couldn't remember it because it's like like normal um but yeah uh go and check out the bible project video on that for more like i said you can tell i haven't done research on that um so in verse seven uh it says he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent so he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Um, and basically goes on to just describe how he's going to be a very meek lamb as he's led to death, basically. Um, and how he's going to be like assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in death. And uh, though he has done no violence and no deceit in his mouth, so he's going to go undergo an unjust um, death basically um and uh yeah like uh, again it's so hard not to like just imagine like the cross here because mm -hmm. i think this is what it's pulling from even down to like verse 9 saying that he's going to be buried in a grave uh with the rich which it definitely happened um with jesus so like it's 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 there are some very specific things that apply to the story of jesus that make this really powerful for christians um looking looking at this whole 
um, verse. We also get to see sort of... Um, yeah. And that also reminds me of, at least seven and eight, it reminds me of like, an I think it was Acts 8, where um, Philip is... Um, he's preaching the gospel to that Ethiopian eunuch and they're reading those same verses from um, Isaiah 7 and 8 in this chapter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and it's just like, you imagine like him going to this, you know, being this symbolic lamb that is going to be sheared and this eunuch who has also been cut in his own way is also reading this verse about a, a Messiah who has been cut and it's just a really interesting comparison and in how God can relate to the people who are serving under him who are his brothers and sisters as well. So. Yeah, well, and this is, pulling from a lot of different places in the Old Testament too, um, specifically like the um, Isaac story where mm-hmm. um, Isaac is led that way um, before a lamb is offered up as a sacrifice. Um, this is kind of uh, calling on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus mm-hmm. um, 7, uh, 16 uh, and how um, the they would take a lamb and lead it into um, the uh, uh temple or, or the tabernacle i guess and that's that context um and slaughter it you know like there are um very specific uh things that this is riffing on and saying that the servant is going to live out all of those different themes that have been carried through in in the um torah and so yeah it's not just a new thing in that sense but it's kind of a culmination of all these old rituals that have been taking place through um, Genesis and Leviticus and even some places in Deuteronomy like you know it's like all throughout that like this is kind of um, it's a culmination of all those things that we see in Jesus so uh, the Bible project is fond of saying that we believe the Bible is a story um, a culminating story that leads to Jesus um, and I really think that that can be shown here because it's all of these different themes in the Old Testament that are getting culminated in a prophecy here to the future fulfillment in Jesus. So it's really cool to kind of see that map in its entirety. And you can like take basically a stop at Isaac and read the story of Isaac um, in uh, Genesis 22, I think it is, um, and read about that. Then you can take a stop in Leviticus 16 and read, read about that. And then you can read this passage here and then you can read the story in Matthew 27, I think it is. Um, and like, those are all different stops along the way to what's being described, you know? And so, uh, I just love how the Bible kind of works in that map like format. Um, and that's a challenge for you listening. Um, go do that. It's fun. Yeah. You know, like it's really fun to do that. So, um, so this last section at the very end, first 10, um, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, there's your uh, third word. Um, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Um, contentious like people might point out that like jesus didn't have offspring or you know he didn't marry or you know any type of thing like this um i think this is at least for jesus's part of it um being far more metaphorical with the offspring being um uh his followers um the people that come after him the christians um and uh i think that's what's being prophesied here is that they will prosper um for following after him and being uh, followers of the way that he lived out um it is very um even for me today uh, one of the hardest things about christianity i will just be bluntly honest is um this first line yet it was the lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer uh, a lot of people find joy in that um like they're very awed by that and i don't want to take away from that at all like if you're the type of person that reads that line and um 
that just makes you feel like more love for God and more love for Jesus. Like I'm totally supportive of that. And I love that, that that's your reaction. I've never had that. I've just always felt that, um, like empathy for Jesus being in such a situation where the Lord has had to crush him and it being in the Lord's will. And I've always like looked at like, um, uh, the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus asks for it not to happen. Um, and I've always felt the, the, um, pain and suffering of that and have always wished that that was not the way it had to be, uh, honestly. And so, yeah, it's still a hard verse for me at times to know that this was all always God's plan. Um, and it's just something that I've constantly wrestled with in my life. But, um, I think that like there is, so much beauty and richness when you think about it from the aftermath at least and see that we are um saved from it and so yeah i, I it's one of those it's one of those things for me where um there's both uh beauty and sadness in it for me and uh yeah it's 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 very powerful when you really sit and meditate on it and i would encourage you to go do that um and it's not all sad because like he gets offspring and you know like the the will of the lord will prosper in his hand eventually like you know it, it doesn't just stop there if it stopped there it would i think be sad but um because it results in offspring and prolonging of days and uh resurrection like i think that's the ultimate joy to the whole thing um even uh, the couple of verses right after, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by this, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Um, like, you know, this is all positive now, now that he's gone through this, now that he's gone through this awful punishment and um, death. Um, now he will have the light of life. Um, he will be given a portion among the great, right? Like he's going to be a king is how Christians see it. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he was poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So it wasn't all for nothing, right? Like it was for a purpose. And it's not just something he does where other people benefit he also benefits too like it, he becomes king as a result of it he becomes someone that gets to divide the spoils with the strong like jesus gets good things because of his willingness to be so meek um and yeah it's it's part of the story so i don't want to downplay that as we close this whole thing um, but it is something really to meditate on would you have any thoughts on that ashley or um, it kind of reminds me like this idea that, you know, I guess we don't often think about this or sometimes we do. And, you know, I guess we don't think about it in the moment because we're not in that season. But it's like suffering is like the way to life when you become a child of God and you see mm. Jesus do that. Like the thing that crowned him was the fact that he was suffering on the cross. And so Jesus encourages us to also take up our cross and not, you know, die in the same way that he did. But the idea that we're putting our life in his hands, understanding that even the suffering is going to be made useful. And it kind of reminds me when he talks about narrow is the the way to life, like the, the way to heaven, you know? Yeah. And that's like nothing against salvation. It's itself because that's a free gift, but it's like the idea that like, it's sort of like this idea that like, if you're going to live that life, like a lot of people can say that they're Christians, but a lot of people have a hard time walking out their life. Cause I have a hard time doing that too. Like, I think a lot of people do like just not saying it 
you know, in name, not just saying that, oh, I am this Christian or I am a child of God, but actually walking out that difficult life every single mm-hmm. day, understanding that sometimes God causes you to suffer because it's a part of a greater plan. And it also reminds me of when it talks, about, I think it's in, is it Hebrews? I think it talks about this where it says, um, um, talks about how um, God chooses um, those priests, like those those people from like among our brethren because they understand suffering so they can sympathize with others who suffer. So it's like, also a part of that is that we can bring people into the kingdom of heaven because we can relate to people suffering outside the kingdom of heaven because we used to suffer like them and we still do even though we're in there you know and that sounds so depressing but i figure like it's just it's like a temporary part of life like everything in this life is temporary so it's like a temporary amount of suffering for a lifetime of joy so yeah yeah i was trying to i i don't know that passage or i could try and find it i remembered there was one in first peter i thought that talks about um uh yeah yeah in verse four therefore since christ suffered in his body this is verse one in chapter four um therefore since christ suffered in his body body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin as a result they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires but rather for the will of god um so yeah like there's this there is this kind of idea of like uh suffering does you good and even in the verses right before um uh it talks about uh in chapter three of first peter um who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good but even if you should suffer for what is right you are blessed Mm -hmm. do not fear their threats do not be frightened but in your hearts revere christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Um, so yeah, like again, it's like kind of Peter is more on that than anyone in his two epistles, focusing on how suffering leads to um, good things, even for Christians and how it builds character. Um, and so, yeah, like there is definitely a through line of the fact that because we claim to serve someone whose literal job was to suffer for the help of everyone else. We also should suffer for the help of other people around us, mm-hmm. um, which is a really hard truth. You know, like mm-hmm. that's just a very hard truth to like live out, um, to always put yourself in a suffering position for other people. And again, that's one that I think a lot of us um, should be honest and admit is hard, mm-hmm. you know, like to really say like, I have a hard time with this. Yeah. Um, and I think it's through that honesty of admitting, yeah, this is hard um, that we can actually get better at it. I, I think when, when we admit what's our struggles and what are our pitfallings that we can really start to really work on those things and, uh, get better so um yeah no i hope you found a lot of hope in this chapter at least um for a lot of christians this unfortunately like the gospel in and of itself and a lot of what's said in this whole um passage uh can it's been talked about so much in churches not even just this passage but just the idea of the cross and what it's done for us and how our sins are forgiven and stuff like it feels like it's been talked to death and especially in the south where we are um that like we can kind of lose the 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 power of these words first being written to a people group in babylon that were suffering themselves under babylonian rule and worth were without hope you know and um, remember I talked to you about how Isaiah is asking really two questions. It's asking a very literal question of what do we do with Israel? Um, like Israel's gone off the beaten path and has broken all of the 
commands that God gave them. So what's God going to do about Israel is the first question. But the bigger question that I think this, this one is, is the reason that Israel has gone off the beaten path is because of sin. And what is God going to do about sin is the real big question. And so this is like the, the brief smallest chink of light in their time period, at least of what he's planning to do with sin so that it helps Israel, you know, and I, and I don't want to lose that part of it, you know, like this, this would have been very new for them in their context to hear. Um, and so, yeah, like just keep that in mind as you're meditating on this chapter, even though it sounds like a lot of stuff you hear every sermon sometimes in churches, especially around Easter, there is a lot of weight to this that I don't want you guys to miss out on. So yeah, I will stop talking, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. And uh, we look forward to being back in your feed next week for chapter 54. Bye. Right, bye-bye.